Welcome to Sojourn Grace Collective, a progressive Christian church in San Diego. In our community, we affirm all that makes you, you. We celebrate your race and your sexual orientation, your gender identity. We honor your socioeconomic status, your physical abilities, and religious creeds. Because here at Sojourn, we believe it all belongs. To learn more, visit us online at sojourngrace.com. There, you can explore what makes our faith community different, discover resources to help you find wholeness in your life, and partner with us in our mission through tax-deductible contributions. Thank you for joining us today, and may you know, above all else, that you are a loved child of God, full stop. Welcome to Sojourn. Hey, my name is Colby. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Sojourn Grace, and I hope our live stream is still with us. I heard it's been cutting in and out, and that was unexpected. Last week, I knew the live stream was going to die because we were connected via Wi-Fi because we didn't yet have access to upstairs. And then this week, Kate alluded to myself and Alyssa and Ben and Jeremy came in and spent like six hours on Thursday wiring things and running lights and connecting up there. And then I realized, oh, that's not an actual router up there. That's just a satellite hub. So we're still kind of iffy on the internet connection. So live stream, I do apologize. Hopefully this will stay stable enough. And then I don't know, We'll try to make it work somehow between now and next week. But that's a little bit of what life is right now in general, like Kate was saying. In general, we're all just sort of figuring out, almost sometimes it feels week to week, what our job now looks like, what our family connections look like, what our household looks and feels like. And so as you're, you know, as the leadership of your church, we moved into a new space last week. And I'm, I don't know if you were here, but I got up on stage and realized I was so frazzled last week from that 9.30 to 10 o'clock space that I never even put my my nice shirt on. So I showed up with just my undershirt on and people liked undershirt Colby. Colby didn't necessarily like undershirt Colby, but everyone else seemed to appreciate it. And then this morning I've got coffee stained shirt Colby. Uh, so I, I think that's a slight upgrade from undershirt Colby. I don't know. But nonetheless, I'm here just as I am. And I invite you to be where you are just as you are. And to the extent that we're able, we will continue to create these spaces of shame-free, judgment-free community where we give each other the space and the grace to figure it out together, to figure it out together. So I'm glad you're here. I see some faces that I haven't seen in a while, and it's really good to see at least this part of your face. I'm sure this part of your face is also good, but I don't get to see that yet. All right, Uh, before I share what I have to share today, maybe with me, would you take a deep breath in and out? I have been doing this progressive Christian, and those aren't always the, the best terms to describe myself, but it's what I have, and so it's what I've been using for a number of years now. I've been doing this for a while, And one of the things that I come back to in some shape or form is this idea that if if a religious word or term or concept or belief, if it's not in some way beneficial or life-giving, 
then I think for me, there's an invitation there to, to, to re-examine it, to hold it up and ask questions of it. What is this idea? What is this word? What is this belief that I, or maybe we, and by we, I mean just sort of this heritage of Christianity. We've had this for a while, and it seems to be less beneficial and less life-giving. And I like to sometimes get curious about why that is. What is it about that? It feels now like it maybe isn't doing the thing that it maybe has done for me in the past or for a community in the past. And so this morning, I want to share with you what has come up for me as I've been reflecting on the word, wait for it, salvation. Salvation for me is one of these words that at different seasons throughout my life have meant different things and had different emotional and spiritual impacts on me. And as of late, I've been trying to get curious about what, what is my relationship to this word anymore, this word salvation. And so I hope whether you find yourself upon hearing that word a little bit like, Ugh, I don't really want to talk about that, or whether you're like, actually, Colby, I'm also curious about that word. I, I hope no matter where you find yourself this morning, that something of what I have to share will be of some interest and or help for you in your journey. And I want to start by naming a few observations that I have. This is really annoying. A few observations that I have about the process of learning things in life. So here's where I'm going to start. There are some things in life that we learn that are just like information and data. So you didn't know a thing, then you learn it, and then you can just sort of move on. You might forget it, but more or less you have flipped the switch from not knowing the thing to now knowing the thing. So you're, you're good to go. And as I referenced earlier, as we've been setting up this space, like learning, for instance, that an HDMI cable, once you get beyond 30 feet, it doesn't really send a signal anymore. And then even if you connect it to an Ethernet cable, if the Ethernet cable gets beyond 30 feet, it doesn't work either. Okay, cool. Now I know the limits of HDMI to Ethernet. Great. So now I, can, I have that information, that data. I've learned that thing. I can now do make different choices. So sometimes things are like that, where you learn it, and then you're good to go. Or maybe it's a particular skill. So it's not necessarily a piece of information or data, but it's a skill. And you learn the skill. And of course, you can get better at it, or maybe worse at it if you don't practice it. But you, you move from a place of you didn't know how to do a thing, and then you developed a skill the, the, the capacity to do it, and then now you can do the thing. So there's learning information and data, which is just sort of pretty black and white, and there's learning a skill set, which is, okay, now I'm on a path to, I can do this thing. But then I think there's another category of things that we learn, and I don't really know how else to say this yet. Another category of things that we learn that's distinct from the black and white world of information processing, and it's distinct from skill set acquisition, where you just sort of work on getting better at a thing. And I was thinking about these are the things that have to do, maybe you could say it like this, maybe these are the things we learn that are connected to the soul. Maybe these are the things that we learn that are connected to the soul, the kind of life lessons that touch on who we are, why we're here, how do we function in this world, and how do we relate to one another. And for about lack of a better term, and I submit to you, this is not the best term, I'm going to call these soul lessons. I know, a pretty good term, huh? Soul lessons. <laughs> so I was thinking about soul lessons, and I feel like it's a different type of learning. And as a result, there might be a different kind of posture that we uh, hold to soul lessons. Meaning we don't typically learn soul lessons once, then check the box and move on. 
Rather, soul lessons tend to be the things that we learn and then relearn and then relearn again. Soul lessons for me tend to be things that we, uh, we work on moving in different stages of our life to accepting and appreciating them and maybe improving them over time. But do they ever really get figured out with any degree of finality? I don't think so. I think soul lessons are things that are dynamic and ongoing and we continue to learn and relearn them. So here's a couple examples of what I mean by soul lessons. First, soul lessons might be the things that we learn about ourselves. This could be about personality. This could be about how we react to certain situations. It could be the things that make us tick. These kind of soul lessons. So for me, one of the, one of the things that I'm, I have learned and relearn and will set my calendars four months from now to remind myself is still true about me is that I don't really handle it all that well <laughs> when, it, when I feel like someone doesn't understand me. If I feel like I'm really clear and you don't get it, I tend to get really bothered by that. I tend to get really activated by that. I have known this about myself many, many years. I think I'm only marginally improved at like responding in those moments. Because I think this is one of those soul lessons where it's not just, oh, I didn't know that HDMI ran 30 feet and doesn't run 35 feet. It's like, oh yeah, I know that about me. Okay, that's going to take some time. Like, that's a, that's a soul lesson. Or maybe a soul lesson, another one might be the things that we learn about life that make life meaningful or not. What is it that brings meaning and purpose to life? I think this is one of those soul lessons where it's not just you read a book and you're like, oh, spending time with loved ones is more meaningful than, like, buying new cars. Close the book. I'm good. I've got it now. No, like this sort of soul lesson is, oh man, once again, I just spent 70 hours hunched over my laptop doing work. And at the end of the week, I don't feel all that content. Whereas if I would have closed the laptop and spent quality time with my loved ones, oh yeah, that's what brings me life. Oh yeah. These are the soul lessons that we have to learn and relearn and relearn and relearn. And then another, a third soul lesson, and this is no exhaustive list, by the way, because I've I've created this category of soul lesson. I don't even know if it's a real thing, but this is what I was thinking about. A third soul lesson are the things that we learn about being in relationship with people. Things that we learn about ourselves in relationship with people. If you've been in a, a long-term relationship with someone, chances are you probably have a pretty good sense about the things that you do that drive that person crazy. And I'm guessing it wasn't like, oh, you, you had a conversation six months into your relationship and then you never did it again. You're good. <laughs> that sort of soul lesson of like how to do relationship with people. These are the things that we are constantly remembering and re-remembering and re-learning. It's not just, the point here is that this, these aren't just switches that we flip and then we're good to go. So if I'm right about this concept about what I'm calling soul lessons, this kind of thing that we learn in life that is a, 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 like an ongoing dynamic process. If I'm right about this, then I wonder how that might interact with our beliefs and our spiritual ideas and practices. It, say that, to say that again, if there is a part of life where we are having to learn and relearn and we maybe never fully figure a thing out, 
how does that reality interact with religious and or spiritual ideas and or practices? In other words, do we have religious ideas? Do we have spiritual terms that bring benefit and value for things like soul lessons? And that brings me to this word, salvation. Now, growing up in my faith tradition, and I know some of your stories, so I know some of you are similar. In my faith tradition, the word salvation uh, had a very particular meaning. And what it meant was that if you do the right thing, which can be a certain prayer that you have to pray or a certain, you know, get baptized or go through some sort of ritual. If you do the right thing, then you have now become saved. You have attained a present promise of a future inheritance that when you die, you will get to spend eternity in heaven with God. This is what salvation has meant for me for a big portion of my life. And I imagine for you as well. Salvation, in other words, is something that you either have or you don't have. You're either saved or not. It is a flip that gets switched. Click, you're saved, yay. Now, I get it. Within that, there are those who have the camp, and they break it down even further of the once saved, always. Oh, we're getting in the weeds now. Once saved, always saved camp. And then there's the, like, the Wesleyan-Arminian camp of the, well, you can lose your salvation. The point is, salvation has been this sort of fixed thing that you either have salvation or you don't have it. And while there's a lot that could be unpacked and explored here in this term salvation, the thing that I want to offer you today with it, as I've been, again, sitting with this, what, to what extent do any do these religious terms and ideas have benefit or value to my life? As I've been thinking about salvation, here's what I want to say about it. I, I think, based on my sort of lifelong study of the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures. And I think based on my own lived experience, and I think based on what I shared a minute ago about the reality of what I'm calling soul lessons, which is to say the reality that there are some of the deepest parts in life we never really fully settle on and figure out. Taking all that into account, I submit to you that salvation, I think, is more a dynamic experience than a static event. I submit to you that salvation perhaps is an ongoing process, not a one-time procedure. And I submit to you that salvation is perhaps a more circuitous journey of discovery rather than a linear path that leads to a destination or an acquisition or some sort of achievement. And here's part of why I believe this. We've talked about this a couple times over the years, and I, and I return to it again this morning. And it's this. It's this, uh, for some reminder, for some, maybe this will be a new revelation. Revelation, where we're going. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Just a new idea. Um, but in the New Testament, in the Christian scriptures, the word that is most often translated as save in our English is the Greek word sozo which does have a fun connection to Sojo. I know Stephen likes to point that out. Sozo, S-O-Z-O, Sozo. And this Greek word has a range of meanings, including to save, um, but more sort of specific, because again, that idea of save just has a lot of, it's a real loaded term. More literally means to rescue or to heal or to make whole. Sozo in Greek is to rescue, to heal, or to make whole. 
And while at first blush, you see this word sozo, and you hear it described as to rescue, to heal, and to make whole, you might think that this is describing a static event. Rescued, done. Healed, done. Made whole, done. But I think that only works if we ignore most of life. (laughs) I think that only works if we zoom in to a single point in time. Here's what I mean. Consider uh, the word rescue, to rescue. If you've ever tried to raise another human being, if you've ever attempted this feat, then you know that right around that age of two, three, four, you are likely spending a not small portion of your day rescuing them from themselves. The sharp things on the counter, the hot things to touch, the doors that get left unlocked. You you rescue them from this moment, but parents and guardians, is your job done? (laughs) If you rescue them at 7.35 from this one treacherous moment in the kitchen, can you then tap out for the rest of the day? Like, I'm good, I've rescued them. They have been sozoed. No. No, the day keeps going, the rescuing keeps, okay. What about heal? Healing, yes. If you zoom in on one particular moment in a person's life, it could be said of them, they had this affliction and then they got a certain treatment and they were healed from that. That is true. And zoom out a bit over the course of their life and all of us experience and or need and or require ongoing healing, oftentimes from the same thing over and over and over and over again. There's no switch for healing. It's just zoom out a bit and you see, oh, oh. And then even to make whole, I was thinking about this. And if if you were to take a shattered vase and glue it back together, you could be, it could be said of that vase that it was sozoed, it was made whole. But I submit to you that the minute that the last piece of glue dries on that shattered thing, Immediately, the second law of thermodynamics kicks in, which is to say entropy, which is to say all things are moving towards a state of disorder. Eventually, that vase will be in a state of disorder again. Zoom far enough out and the idea of a thing being made whole (laughs) and it being like done and over with, you begin to see the fragility of that posture. So what I'm getting at here is I think that salvation, I think that sozo, I think rescue, healing, wholeness is not, or rather cannot actually be seen as a thing that happens one time, gets established, and then, and then it's good to go. Rather, I think it is a thing that is happening and will continue to happen. And this makes sense to me, not only in light of what I read and understand in our own religious sacred texts, but also what I've lived and experienced and in light of these soul lessons, which is to say, since there are these things about ourselves and there's the things about life and things about relationship that require learning and relearning and figuring out and refiguring out and remembering and re-remembering, I think, for me, it makes sense that likewise we need a dynamic definition of what it means to find healing and wholeness in our life. Does that make sense? 
And if you say no, then I will get really triggered, as I've shared with you earlier. Here's how I might say it in one sentence. Since the deepest struggles of the soul are inherently dynamic and ultimately unsolvable in any real final sense, then we might expect that a remedy, a.k.a. sozo, a.k.a. salvation, we might expect that the remedy ought similarly be fluid and adaptable. So here's how I'll wrap this up. This has felt to Kate and me and the board and many other leaders, this has felt in the life of Sojourn like a new season for two pretty big reasons. One is we all just went through and are still going through a global pandemic and nothing has been left untouched and unchanged in its wake. We spent 17 months being just a virtual church, and now we're back in person, and it's been about four months, but it feels like in many ways we are a very different sojo than we were in February of 2020. So that feels like one reason why we're at the beginning of a new season. And then second, we just moved to a new location. And yes, a church community is more than a building, but it's also not less than a building, which is to say, like, the building and the physical space Matters and it has an impact on a community. This new space will affect the DNA of our community and will affect the manifestation of our mission. And I think that just like there's no arriving in life, like we don't ever arrive in life, there's just change and transformation, and hopefully if we're lucky, that leads to growth. <laughs> I think there's also no arriving as an organization. There's just change and transformation, and if we're a bit lucky, growth. In all the ways that that means. So this, in light of that, this felt like a good time to revisit this idea and remind many of us that salvation, a.k.a. wholeness, is our vision here at Sojourn. Wholeness is our vision. Spiritual, social, and emotional wholeness. That is our vision. That is the thing that we hope will come into existence as a result of us being here. This is what a vision statement is. If you do the thing you try to do, what does life look like as a result of that? We hope it looks like wholeness, spiritual, social, and emotional wholeness. But if wholeness, like I said, is a dynamic, ongoing process, if it's not this static, achievable state, then what might that mean that our vision is to achieve an unachievable thing? Are we just destined for perpetual communal frustration, chasing after this this thing that's really a process? Has your leadership just set our church on this Sisyphean quest? But here's, here's what I think. For me, this idea that wholeness is ultimately unattainable, for me, this is not a bug, but a feature. Meaning, changing how we think about salvation, a.k.a. wholeness, changing how we think about it to be more of this ongoing process, for me, is not a problem to solve, but it's a gift to accept. 
And I say this because for me, the gift of thinking about salvation or thinking about wholeness in this way, the gift of seeing it as this fluid process where we are simultaneously never fully there, but also always entirely in it. For me, the, that's, that's good news. And I think it's a better way to think about salvation because what ultimately this means to me is that I think that you can be saved while feeling very unsettled. I think you can be rescued while still feeling very lost. And I think you can be whole even while feeling broken. And I think that's good news. Can I pray for us? You have heard it said that salvation is a key that can unlock life's biggest problem. You have heard it said that salvation is a key that can unlock life's biggest problem and that that problem is your separation from God. But I say to you, life's problems are far too vast, far too shifty, far too contextually driven and destined to change. And so therefore one key cannot be adequately expected to fit all the locks. Plus, there isn't actually any real separation between you and God anyway. That big problem isn't even real. Therefore, what if instead salvation or wholeness is a light, a flame to illuminate all things and warm all things, a light to guide us in the wilderness and to lead us from the dark. Sojourn, may we consider that wholeness is the light that brings us back home, back home to ourselves when we've wandered astray, and it is the light that leads us back to those we love most when we've lost our way. God, may we trust that this light is never not shining. It is a light that's always free and universally available. There is no required belief or behavior prior to having access to or receiving benefit from this light. And this light, oh God, may we have eyes to see and ears to hear. This light is with in us right here, right now. Church, if you're comfortable, I invite you to just place a hand on your, on your chest, on your heart, on your stomach, wherever you are reminded that you have life. And I'll say it again, this light, this wholeness is within, right here, right now. We can be saved even while still feeling stranded. We can be rescued even while still feeling lost. We can be whole even while still feeling broken.
For there is no God who controls this light. There is no God who limits it to some. There is no God who withholds it. For God, you are not one who hides, nor are you one who forces. This light, this salvation, this wholeness, it just is. It is gift. It is grace. Always, forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Sojourn Grace Collective. If you're in the area on a Sunday morning, we invite you to join us sometime for a gathering. Or if you can't make it in person, you can always be a part of our virtual church by watching the live stream on YouTube or Facebook at 10 a.m. Pacific. Before you go, we wanted to tell you that a large portion of Sojourn's financial support comes from listeners like you people who want to express their gratitude for our ministry and who are thrilled to know that a church like Sojourn exists. If that's you and you'd like to partner with us in this work, please visit sojourngrace.com donate, where you can make a one-time donation or sign up to be a monthly supporter. It was an honor to have you with us today. As you go about your week, may you take with you the words that we say at the end of all of our gatherings. Be brave because you're a child of God and be kind because so is everyone else.